0: Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Lucy Talks, I'm your host Lucy Woodward and I'm so excited to have you listening to this episode, I really hope you enjoy it. This is designed for meaningful conversations about things that really matter in life. From climate change to confidence, from mental health to happiness, I hope this podcast helps you find something you're looking for. Hi everyone, so I'm going to keep this really brief because it's a long episode coming up as you'll see from the length of it. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. So this is a conversation that I had with Paige Hunt. Paige is a sustainability executive at Sainsbury's. So she works in kind of like corporate sustainability and also does activism work. And yeah, we kind of had a very wide reaching conversation about the job that she does now, kind of how she felt when she was in a similar position to where I am leaving university in a couple of months time we spoke about careers more generally and also the specifics of how sustainability policies like net zero policies are created. Um, I've really, really loved it. I've just got off the phone with Paige as I'm recording this little intro. So I really hope that you enjoyed the episode. As always, please feel free to um, get in touch to let me know what you think and I'll have lots of details about things that we spoke about in the description of this episode so yeah feel free to check out any of the links and I really hope you enjoy. So without further ado this is a conversation with Paige Hunt about sustainability on Lucy Talks. Hi Paige thank you so much for your time today um how are you doing?
1: Yeah, thank you, Lacey. Thank you for having me. All right. Yeah, well,
0: thank you. It was good. Amazing. Would you like to start by kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do currently, maybe a bit of your kind of story of how you got to where you are now? That would be really great.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess I would describe myself as a sort of young, early career sustainability professional. Um, so I am coming up to three and a half years um, of working, I guess, post, um, post-graduating from university. Um, so I had a pretty, I guess, a kind of conventional route into to where I'm at. Um, was super passionate about both, I guess, geography, biology, one of my favorite subjects at school. Have a real kind of passion for nature and travel and uh found myself learning more and more about sustainability and the role of businesses within that throughout my time at university and um yeah i was lucky enough to um get a job in consultancy and then this is my kind of second job um post-university um, yeah which is here at Sainsbury's working within the sustainability team
0: so your degree was that environmental science yes so yeah. it,
1: it was actually um i have a bit of a kind of yeah i guess a more unconventional um university story and that i actually came to so i started and applied for um a degree which at the time was called tropical science at the university Mm -hmm. of nottingham and so it was a brand new degree and i think when i was at school i was really stuck on deciding about what to do and i didn't want to do kind of like a straight traditional subject And with biology and geography both being my favourite subjects and me having this real strong passion to travel, I saw that University of Nottingham were advertising um, the tropical science degree and I thought, wow, that sounds awesome. And then I actually ended up changing courses in second year to environmental biology because I think in second year when I started thinking about what I wanted to do post-uni, I thought that I would be... Essentially, cutting down my options quite early. Mm -hmm. Well, so if I was graduating with a tropical science degree, so I just wanted to have something slightly more general, but still kind of touching on the things that I found really interesting.
0: Oh, amazing! Yeah, I can definitely relate to wanting to keep my options open. And I remember kind of when I was choosing my A levels and that sort of thing, I wanted to, didn't really want to cut down on any, any of the subjects. Like I feel like I enjoy quite a lot of different things. So yeah, I can definitely relate to kind of having lots of interests and trying to find something that fits that broad mm-hmm. range of interests.
1: Yeah, and it's so difficult, right, to make that decision. Mm-hmm. So early on when you kind of, your only experience and exposure is what you've done through revision and lessons. And so it's like making that decision of kind of where, what you want to study, which is then going to influence what you can, like what jobs you can and can't yeah. really apply for and industries you get into it's huge. And I think now being further on the kind of other side of it, you do actually still get a lot of people who are working in the industry that I'm in that haven't necessarily kind of graduated with that specific degree. I think I'm probably in the minority and that it's actually all kind of matched up. And I think I've been pretty lucky, but a lot of people have those kind of transferable skills that they've learned through doing psychology degree or a physics degree or Mm. it's kind of yeah more about having those transferable skills that you can then kind of bring into your jobs in later lives even if it's not
0: directly related yeah definitely yeah I'm definitely kind of in the position of trying to figure out like what my next steps are after uni because I'm in my fourth year and yeah I've been doing a physics degree so there's a lot of different options out there which is a really cool thing like it's definitely a good position to be in but it's kind of Almost too much choice in some ways, because you're like, how do I know what I want to do? So maybe if if we could kind of go back to your final year of uni, how did you feel when you were kind of approaching the end of that period of your life? And did you feel any pressure or what were you kind of experiencing like emotionally in terms of your next steps? Yeah, that's a great question. I think on reflection,
1: I was so focused on my dissertation my grades mm. my modules and doing everything that was kind of immediately in front of me in terms of those deadlines that I didn't really start thinking about um, what I wanted to do kind of post-uni in terms of actually beginning to apply to things and starting to speak to people until literally I want not say like February March before I was then graduating like due to graduate in July and Mm -hmm. I think I felt quite panicked in that I was really behind because a lot of my kind of friends and peers and course mates were either choosing to kind of take some time out and then there was a kind of other bucket of people that were super organized and had been applying to all of the bigger grad schemes and doing all the assessment days and they were happening all kind of earlier throughout the year but yeah i started thinking about it late and i essentially started off with just talking to as many people as possible um and yeah i actually so i found my first internship through the nottingham careers advisory kind of platform that they have and. yeah it was almost kind of blindly applying for jobs and then i saw a job description come up that was sent through on the Nottingham careers um careers group and they were looking for somebody and i was like oh actually i think that really fits me and my interests and i think i've got a good chance with going for this but it was after many 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 other applications where i was kind of blindly just last minute coming across things and thinking, mm-hmm. oh my god, I'm just gonna apply, going
0: for it and see what happens. Nice. You kind of said like you felt like you're a bit behind. Um and like from my position now, I feel like looking at you a few years ahead of where I am, it's it seems like you've got you know, a very established career and that sort of thing. Do you feel like that is a is is that still a feeling that you have of kind of always looking forward to the next thing? Or is it like do you feel quite settled in where you are now? Oh yeah that's
1: that's a good question I think I do feel settled right now I think mm-hmm. because I've recently so I've been at Sainsbury's four more it's coming up to sort of nine nine ten months now because I joined last summer
0: mm-hmm. so
1: I definitely think that I before I started work I underestimated how long it takes to settle in to understand your projects to really kind of drive the change and make the difference that you want to within your role and um my first so my internship turned into a permanent position and then I got promoted and I ended up staying with that company for for three years and um whilst I hit the three-year mark I kind of realized that you know there's a whole world out there of like other jobs and different perspectives mm-hmm. and I kind of wanted to at that point i i knew that i didn't want to stay with that company forever but not because of the company itself but because of my kind of curiosity for being across different industries and i think it's very much i i think the job world is changing in that you know a generation ahead of or a generation behind us in terms of uh, our parents it was very much uh you get a job and you stay there for 10, 20 years. You get a good pension and you get your mortgage on your house. Whereas now, I think because of things like LinkedIn and recruitment companies, like headhunters, mm. it's all flexible now. And mm. there's there's a general notion that people don't aren't loyal to companies, but loyal to their mission. And I think yeah. that's the kind of approach that I take in that I know what. I want to try and achieve in my working life and I think that when the time is right that I feel like I've kind of made my difference and uh, I'm ready to kind of look at it from a different angle and learn something slightly new is when I will look to move but I think that I kind of I will do a check-in with myself every like couple to few years so like every mm-hmm. two to three years that's kind of how I'm seeing it I'm just have a bit of a check-in of how I'm feeling um and yeah in terms of like my development needs uh in terms of what whether I'm happy in my role in terms of where I want to be location-wise as well I think everything kind of plays into it and you can plan but you also can't plan and yeah. I think feel like keeping half an eye open to opportunities that might come along that you don't expect as yeah. well. Um, yeah, like I, it wasn't in my plan to work for Sainsbury's and the head office and the sustainability team at all. Uh, and I always said to myself that I didn't want to live in London, yet here I am. Yeah, um, yeah. I definitely think that I have a view of like, this is never going to be, I'm never going to be in like a forever job. I'm quite happy to hop around and like, learn as I go and uh yeah, be loyal to the mission rather than to the company.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think I don't I'm not sure if you've heard of the idea of a career tree before rather than a career career ladder. But someone I've spoken to before has kind of planted this idea in my mind of your career kind of like going off in different directions and being able to kind of switch and try something else. And I really like what you said about having a core mission in that and trying to make sure you're always Going in the direction that you want to, even if you're kind of going about that from different angles. Um, Oh,
1: I love that the career tree. And yeah, it's I have a similar analogy where a career like coach once told me about picturing, I guess, your that career path as you know, you're on one side of the bank and there's the river, and then you have your goal of what you where you want to be as the other side of the bank and like you have there's stepping stones across the river, but they're not necessarily in a straight line. Yeah. And so often like you'll go to one stepping stone and realize that oh, there is another stepping stone that you didn't initially see from your previous stepping stone. Hmm. And even if it's like, you know, on the surface looking like a sideways or even a backwards move, if, if it's getting you it's yeah, it can still get you to where you
0: want to be, even if it's not like traditionally moving upwards um, yeah definitely and like you said there's always going to be uncertainty and things that you can't know about until you get to that position so yeah, yeah that's really interesting i'd love to talk to you more about your current role and kind of your your job i guess in terms of like how you interact with sustainability and the kind of tasks that you do in your day-to-day role
1: yeah, of course. Um, my my role is a really interesting one because I um I guess the way that our team is set up, so I sit within the corporate responsible sustainability team. So the uh, like yeah m- many kind of companies will have like a CSR function, I guess. And um, yeah, within Sainsbury's, it's then split up into sub teams. So you have a team for like health and nutrition communities and partnerships, uh, human rights, and then there's a governance team, and then there's the environment team, and I sit within the environment team. Within the environment team, we kind of divvy up our, our roles by essentially like issue or pillar. Um, so we have a, there's sustainability managers for um, each of, each of our pillars. So one being nature, one being water, one being food waste, one being carbon. And sort of within nature, biodiversity, deforestation, and um, like things like peat soil health, uh, ultimately kind of come under that umbrella. Um, my role is ever changing because I'm not kind of stuck to uh, one pillar. Uh, I'm having I have a bit of a kind of supporting role within the team, but it's mostly focused at the moment on the deforestation and nature biodiversity areas. As uh, those pieces, those pillars, I guess, are like massive pieces of work in and of themselves. In terms of like my actual tasks and day to day, my main thing would be, I guess, communicating things internally. So we are the internal subject matter experts for environmental sustainability. And then even within that, biodiversity, nature, deforestation, carbon emissions, anything that kind of fits under that bracket so we have all sorts of like weird and wonderful requests coming in from people within teams if they're a buyer for dairy products and are asking about what methane emissions means for cows and things Mm -hmm. like that so it's really broad and um so essentially it's our role to kind of uh both respond to requests and uh, kind of upskill internal teams when they have questions and things. Um, But we also have our kind of internal targets and commitments that we are enabling the business to then meet. We have net zero targets and timelines to meet. We have kind of food waste targets. We have a target um, to be kind of protecting and regenerating nature. We have a deforestation target, but we kind of recognize that we're only a small team of like six Mm -hmm. people. So that's where the kind of coordination and training and upskilling piece kind of comes in so that we can give other business functions like logistics and people that work in procurement or people that, um, yeah, are working on kind of other strategic sourcing, like business tender decisions so that they're upskilled and aware of the targets and the things that we would like to put in place. And they basically end up kind of implementing that within their day jobs. The other thing is, we do all of our kind of external reporting on any kind of environmental metric. We're part of the WWF uh, retailer commitment for nature. Every year, we're measured against those targets. And so mm-hmm. we will essentially kind of collate them, pull them together verify them, make sure that they're correct and accurate and robust, and then we'll um put them all together. And there's all sorts of different kind of reporting mechanisms for different things. So mm-hmm. recently I've got one to kind of write up for in terms of our position on sourcing cocoa, for example, mm-hmm. and um what we're doing in the space for kind of tackling deforestation and um sustainable livelihood farmer incomes. And um so that's something that we're kind of feeding into at the moment there's also the kind of more exciting innovation where we're kind of really driving and researching into climate change solutions really Mm -hmm. so that's kind of it in a nutshell yes yeah it's the like internal communications it's the reporting and then it's like innovations and projects
0: alongside amazing I feel like that was a A real insight into all of the different aspects of everything you do I wonder if we could like zone in on one particular thing I know you mentioned net zero targets and I think you hear people talk about the goals that companies have what's the work that goes on behind the scenes of those targets and how does that all fit in
1: yeah of course that's a great question so in terms of the work that goes on behind setting a target the the great thing about working in sustainability is that nobody's being secretive in terms of like, we don't need to talk about pricing. We're not talking about mm. having a competitive edge. We're all kind of working towards the same goal. So, um, in terms of setting targets, um, our kind of main thing would be to, I guess, research best practice, like who out there is showing that uh, they are kind of leading within the industry on um their sustainability so be it sourcing palm oil or sourcing cocoa and um quite often so we'll have we'll do a kind of bit of a scoping in terms of what's out there what are people doing at the moment what does best practice look like
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then for us as well we are also part of a lot of um like industry-wide collaborations um so the WWF uh retailer commitment for nature is is one of those bigger collaborations and as part of being with some of those groups there comes like a an obligation to sign up to certain commitments Mm -hmm. um so taking something like um soy for example um we are part of the uk soy manifesto and um as being part of the uk soy manifesto You then sign up to a target of having deforestation conversion free soy supply chains uh, by 2025. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a mixture of both looking at what's best practice and doing that kind of initial research and having a look at kind of what's coming out in the research from a scientific and like academic space, but also what's coming out of a recommendation in terms of like government and investor space. and then, yeah, also what's kind of coming out in terms of what our NGO is asking for. So doing that kind of scoping in terms of what's going on. And then as part of our kind of obligations, part of these groups that, that we're with, it will often involve, yeah, committing to a target. But we will come to an agreement on that target collaboratively within the group to essentially come up with something which we think is like, you know, realistic and achievable. but also meeting the goals of um where we need to be essentially Hmm. looking at like both short-term and and long-term
0: do you ever find that there's so much going on that it's overwhelming because i know sometimes when i start reading more about sustainability and climate change and the fact that it's such a such a crisis it's very easy to get overwhelmed and I know the term like climate anxiety is thrown around quite a lot. Do you ever feel that it gets overwhelming with it being your job?
1: Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And how do you manage that? It's um, I think because as somebody who's so passionate about, um, you know, really kind of believing that we have the potential to change and really kind of turn things around for good and believing in that but then also understanding the urgency and pace in which it needs to be delivered can be very overwhelming and I think when you're in the thick of it it can be extremely frustrating when something doesn't go to plan or like you work really hard on something and then it's taking ages to get traction And, um, it can be, it's very emotional because it's, it's, you're looking at kind of like data and metrics, but then if you connect what you're actually talking about with what it means on the ground in terms of the, the literal kind of saving trees and the destruction of nature and endangered species, it's huge. And I think some days I feel the pressure of that. On my shoulders. And often I have to take a step back and realize that it's not just me who's feeling that way, number one. And it's not just me who's working really hard um, to also kind of, yeah, change things, change things for the better. I think sometimes working when you've got so bogged down in your like your emails and your projects and the things that you're doing. It's easy to forget that there's so many other like amazing things and so many other amazing people out there and you're making your contribution, but you're not alone. And yeah. I think
0: you are a part of a wider community. Yeah. Yeah. Not only, and it's like,
1: you know, within your, within your job, like with your close colleagues and within your team, but then also within your industry so within the supermarket industry within the food industry but then also beyond that when you think about uh like for me i'm so grateful and love seeing like all of the work of activists and ngos and like Mm -hmm. really creative advertising campaigns really amazing writers who are like you know using the role of kind of fiction and imagination to bring like bring light on the climate and ecological crisis i think there's so many different things going on and it's acknowledging the fact that i'm making my contribution but it's part of it's not the only thing that is kind of riding on fixing it it's like everybody has their part to play um and yeah i think it we are making progress i have to remind myself of that Mm -hmm. it's um, The conversation
0: is definitely more prominent now than it was, I don't know, five, ten years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, my I was looking for the role that I'm in now. I was searching. I remember being at university and Googling or, like, looking on Indeed Mm -hmm. and looking on all the job platforms for, like, sustainability jobs and finding it so difficult because so many companies didn't even have a like environmental sustainability team and if they did it was all really senior level so it was like straight away sustainability manager level Mm -hmm. and i think now it's really changing in that there is an acknowledgement that youth voices um youth representation and just kind of younger having yeah having representation from younger people is really important in in sustainability in, in the sustainability space because there's a massive acknowledgement that it needs to come from both like a top uh top down and also kind of a bottom up yeah and um to keep the pressure on yeah i think that's super exciting and and just being a bit more i don't know i guess the younger generation is just more likely to kind of be able to believe in something that's breaking those kind of boundaries and what you believe to be possible it's slightly more entrenched in people who have already been working within a business for 30 years yeah and I think there's definitely room for both because and I think that's where the sweet spot is where you have like the amazing creative like passion enthusiastic big bold ideas matched with people who know how to uh like run navigate the business world how to use the right language and communicate with people those two together is super exciting and I guess Mm -hmm. that's why I love being where I am because it's not just being that kind of pure activist but it's being a little bit of both like the supply chain like analyst looking at it in terms of security of supply like business lens but then also bringing in those elements of activism to kind of edge, push, challenge, yeah. change.
0: So yeah, I like, love that. Nice. That sounds like a really positive, kind of really exciting space that you're in. Um, it makes me excited hearing about it. It's kind of a, a field that I really care about, so it's nice to know that there's, there is work <laughs> in that area. I know you mentioned activism there. Um, I wonder if you could touch on your activism work that you do outside of your job, because I, I know that you do some of that. But...
1: Yeah, it's, I, I think it's something that I, is probably come from a place of my climate anxiety and the fact yeah. that I feel like I'm not doing enough and I need to do more, but it's also a really amazing way to connect with different communities. And so I don't feel like I'm just stuck, I'm not stuck, but just speaking to the people within my world that is kind of corporate sustainability. Um, so I currently am part of a group um which is called the Emergent Generation, um, which is like a youth led group. It was started by an organization called FarmEd. They have uh an amazing, beautiful site, uh regenerative, like working commercial farm and also kind of education center in the crops worlds. It was originally funded by I think a series of kind of donators and uh, WWF as well to kind of Mm -hmm. kickstart it. The group kind of kicked off last year. There was was an event where we had a series of kind of workshops and lectures and things, and it's all focused on um, the UK ecological and regenerative farming movement. Everybody within the group splits into um, different like working groups. And so myself and a couple of other people uh, work on kind of bringing... um, opportunities and events and basically signposting jobs volunteering internship training opportunities uh, to the rest of the group and yeah, so I've been doing that for a few months now but also within it I've been involved in a WWF UK social media campaign I got to speak at the Oxford Real Farming Conference earlier this year um, in just kind of talking about the younger generation's view on food system transformation and especially through like a uk lens and uh what the emergent generation group were doing so it just enables me to not only kind of meet amazing other young people across the uk who were passionate but like coming at it from a completely different angle like a lot of people within the group are farmers themselves a lot mm-hmm. of people are students some people work for the government some people are working with policy it's a real big mix and for me it's so important to be able to kind of speak listen discuss the big things with people that are coming from all different perspectives I find it and it helps me so much within my job and it's also just yeah you make kind of yeah
0: like-minded lifelong friends through Mm -hmm. it as well um so it's amazing I feel like the only Mm -hmm. way we're actually gonna make an easy difference is if we all work together and communicate and that seems like a brilliant place where everyone's kind of collaborating for the same goal
1: yeah yeah yeah. i mean it's a massive shout out to farm because they they have done an amazing amazing job at like facilitating the group um i think you really do need somebody to take the reins of like okay let's have this whatsapp group and we're going to have this event and just to kind of keep it going so that then it starts snowballing and organically growing because that's essentially what's happened. In the last year,
0: um, But yeah, I'll definitely check them out.
1: Yeah, yeah, would highly <clears> recommend. Um,
0: it's open to anybody to join, so everybody is welcome. Cool. I'll leave a link to um, to that website and stuff in the description of the episode if anyone listening wants to check them out as well. You mentioned that there were books that you might have read that would be particularly interesting if you're interested in sustainability. Um, are there any that you'd like to kind of shout out or any about the climate crisis that have helped change your mindset as well
1: yes so i love reading and sometimes i just actually have to kind of put a pause on it because Mm -hmm. it's like talking about sustainability all day and then going home having dinner and then my mind is reading this sustainability book it starts getting a little bit ridiculous um yeah but i guess the i talk about my favorite my top three i think and I'm going to try, and they're all quite different. Um, so the first one is um, Losing Eden, I think by Lucy Jones, I think is the author, and it's essentially um, all about our kind of innate connection to, to nature and looking at it from a, a kind of well-being lens and ultimately how it how it makes us feel. And I've never really thought about it in that context so much. I mean, I guess on the surface, you think, yeah, it's like it's great to go for a a walk outside if you're feeling a bit meh. but really goes into the detail of and like the science behind it in terms of, you know, what that connection really means, but also from a point of biodiversity is massively declining we are losing nature and Mm -hmm. we are ultimately going to lose our access to nature so what does it mean in terms of like the future resilience and well-being of people in general if they're losing that access? interesting yeah and so it's kind of I guess another string to the bow of a, a reason to to work to protect it that I don't think is really that widely recognised yet. Um, yeah. And it's also very beautifully written. So that was a great one. Um, another one that totally has blown my mind is Dan Saladino's Eating to Extinction. It's absolutely incredible. He writes it in a way that each chapter is is focused on um, something different kind of within food and basically takes you right back to the beginning of the story from kind of where it all began. There's like chapter on coffee, for example, chapter on cheese, just basically follows the story of where the first original varieties of the foods that we all eat today come from and how we've gone from this place of essentially kind of being hunter gatherers, having uh, our, our diets and our wild ancient varieties that we used to eat. And then the process of essentially the green revolution, agriculture, domestication of these uh, of these varieties, commercialization. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, an absolutely amazing read, and I keep and I go back to it to kind of remind myself. If I'm working on a project on coffee or cocoa, like yeah. I love being able to actually like understand from day dot like how what what it used to be like, where it's come mm. from. Um, where are its origins and how it's got us to where we are today and then my final really amazing book is a fictional novel by octavia butler and it's called the parable of the sower and it is quite dystopian but it's very powerful and it's a ama- it's just an amazing story and it's set in the future and i'm not going to kind of say too much on it but it's um written from the perspective of a kind of coming of age young teenager um living with a family and climate change has very much hit and Mm. it's it's a yeah a, a very kind of like personal anecdote of what it would be like for somebody living in that kind of situation and uh the struggles the decisions uh the different challenges but also the sense of that like hope and community within that and kind of just visualizing what society would look like if we were really to kind of suppress our one point five degree warming. Yeah. And yeah. um yeah. I mean there's lots of there's lots of very it's all it's terrifying. It's really terrifying. Mm-hmm. But it's
0: it's I think you need that fear though sometimes.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like yeah it's just talks about kind of food and water shortages like real real, in it. the price of food price of water wildfires like so many fires and it's stuff that's already happening like we look at the world today we look at what's happening with wildfires and what's happening last year we look at the price of food and what's happening and so it's, it's yeah a it's a call. really Yeah, it's a really profound realisation, but it's also a really amazing experience to read as well. So, um, I'm yeah, definitely recommend that.
0: Well, thank you so much. I'll definitely check those out um, and I'll leave the links again to those below. Um, So I have one final question for you, which is a question that I like to ask to everyone that I invite on the podcast, which is, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
1: Mm. Best piece of advice I've ever been given? is to be bold and be the change that you want to see in the world. It's very cheesy, but I have to really remind myself of it and I I say it to myself at least once a day with every kind of decision that you make. And I think with being a young professional, you have to be bold and you have to be brave because things are not going to change if we're still acting the same way as we have done for the last 50 years and i think within that also it provides uh, a bit of light on the small changes as well so it's you know even though it's something small you don't know what effects that's going to have on other people um in terms of that ripple effect and i think even through kind of more like passive osmosis, if you're being that exemplar person that you would look up to, or if it's something that you think, "Oh wow, that would be amazing to do. It's like just do it, and then you're yeah. inspiring other people to do it, and so yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice that was given to me that I hold on to is yeah being being the change that you want to see in the world, because mm-hmm. I think that is ultimately what's gonna inspire people but also put you in a really good space and a good state as well
0: definitely yeah and I think I said before that you need the fear to kind of push people to do things but you also need the hope and making people feel inspired and excited about what the potential future could be because if if we kind of manage to solve the climate crisis or at least you know prevent it from being at, at, at its worst then It's amazing, like, all of the different possibilities that could be out there. Um, Yeah, yeah, and
1: it feeds into, like, I think about that from a sustainability lens, but then also from, like, uh, you know, representation of women lens and, like, thinking about everything that we need to kind of question and evolve and transform in our existing society. Like, it's all really linked, Mm -hmm. and it's, yeah, I think that we've got to be the, like, as the younger generation we've got to be that kind of driving force and a really easy and amazing way to do that is by showing example
0: yeah thanks so much I really really like that and I'll definitely try and absorb that and take it away with me <laughs> I think sometimes I, I'm kind of just getting my own way and feel too scared to do things but that's really yeah. um so, so I feel easy, quite excited Dom yeah
1: and it's like a back and forth ripple effect right like if somebody does it and they're like oh okay this is not too bad and then they inspire somebody else and then it just yeah it has such a like a compounding potential that uh it's good but i also you know i i have to remind myself and and really kind of lock it in because it's so easy Mm. to do that as well
0: yeah definitely well thank you so much i'm sure everyone listening would have really enjoyed that conversation listening to it um and i definitely enjoyed having it so yeah thanks so much for your time i know you're busy um i appreciate it no worries thank you for having me it's um yeah been a really really great conversation